0: Many years ago, some of the more fashionable hotels on the eastern seaboard were not very hospitable to Jews. One night, a Jewish lady, whose name was Rosenberg, she was stranded in Cape Cod. She needed a room. Well, after stopping at several highbrow resorts and being told by the clerks no vacancy, she found one innkeeper who was at least more honest. He told her, sorry, ma'am, no room here. We don't rent to Jews. Well, this angered Mrs. Rosenberg. She bristled up. She said, young man, I'll have you know that I've converted to your religion, that I'm actually a Christian. The clerk was surprised. He countered. He said, well, okay, if you're a Christian, well, then let me give you a test. How was Jesus born? Mrs. Rosenberg, she considered for a moment, and then she replied, well, he was born of a virgin. Well, the clerk started thinking, he said, well, you know, that's pretty good, but she could have picked that up by just listening to some Christmas carol, you know, round yon virgin, mother and child. I better ask her another question. He says, okay, but I have another question for you. Where, where was Jesus born? This time she responded, in the little town of Bethlehem. But again, he was suspicious, you know, she, she could have just been hearing the Christmas carol sing about Bethlehem. How, how do we really know? He figured that he better ask her another question. So he said, where in Bethlehem was he born? Mrs. Rosenberg answered, in a manger. But again, you know, the clerk was suspicious. You know, she could have just heard the children sing, away in a manger. Finally, he asks her, he says, okay, why was Jesus born in a manger? Well, at this point, Mrs. Rosenberg, she's pretty steamed, you know, she's angry. She snaps back at him, she says, because the hotel clerk was a jerk like you who rent a room to a Jewish lady. (laughs) Well, this is true. This is the beginnings of the Christmas story. Luke chapter 2, verse 7, sums up the story. And Mary brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And all of Bethlehem, No one would give up a room, or a spare bedroom, or a living room couch, or even the corner of a hotel lobby for Mary. A Jewish lady couldn't get a room for the night, and so Jesus was born in a stable. Amazingly, the creator of the universe paid a visit to his planet, but he was denied a room at the Motel 6 in Bethlehem. No posh hotels for Jesus. While dirty donkeys whisk away the flies with their tails. And hungry horses stomped with their hooves wanting more food. The Savior of the world was born. And then after wrapping him in strips of cloth, she laid him in a manger. An exhausted teenage mom finally puts him in a feed trough so she can get a little rest. Despite the carols to the contrary, Jesus was laid in stickly, prickly straw. And no one visited, at least no one you would have wanted to mention. Shepherds had an unsavory reputation. I mean, they were brawlers. They were immoral. Eastern magi, they were these strange guys with mysterious backgrounds. They weren't exactly orthodox in doctrine. Neither of these two groups were the type of guests who would have honored a respectable Jewish home. Jerusalem's elders and rabbis, guests that Would have mattered, they never showed up. Let me introduce you to Jesus, the man nobody wanted. When we survey the Old Testament prophecies, much was predicted about Jesus. Heir of Abraham, King or Messiah, born in Bethlehem, conceived by a virgin, worked miracles, cured disease, taught parables, rode on a donkey into the city, appeared the very day the prophet foretold Died on a tree, rose from the dead. But of all the prophecies we find in the Old Testament, none is as surprising as the prophecy that surfaces in Psalm 118, verse 22. There the psalmist writes, The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And here's the very next verse This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. The writer himself seems astonished by the revelation. The stone or the Messiah was the longed-for Savior of the Jewish people. He was the pardon for their checkered past. He was the hope of their glorious future. What a shock to read in the psalm that he would be rejected. And the writer uses a strong word. It means to disapprove or to repudiate. His rejection wasn't just a case, an innocent case of mistaken identity. No, the Jewish establishment, they knew who he was. And they discarded him just the same. Jesus was the man nobody wanted. Neither Jew, nor Greek, nor Roman. Even the masses who witnessed Jesus' miracles, they turned on him at the end. John begins his gospel With the tragic thought, John 1 verse 11 speaks of the Lord Jesus. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. John called him the light of the world. But then later in chapter 3 said men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Humanity as a whole and the Jews in particular chose darkness instead of Jesus. Isaiah also saw in advance this peculiar twist of fate. Chapter 53 paints a prophetic portrait of Jesus. He is despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. The glory of heaven, the awe of the angels was despised by men. While in heaven, Jesus was the center of attention He was the object of praise and love and admiration and respect. Jesus was the hot core of heaven's radiant glory. The entire heavenly host had a crush on Jesus. Yet as soon as he appears on earth, he's slapped in the face with rejection. There's no one to welcome him but a couple of goats and maybe a burrow and perhaps a few clucking chickens. He had peasants for parents. His stepdad, Joe... Forgot to log on to Priceline, so they had no lodging. The only person who wanted Jesus was the jealous King Herod. Actually, he wanted Jesus dead. Jesus was on the king's most wanted list. Herod's henchmen would later storm the city of Bethlehem to kill off their rival. And sadly, there are people today in the world who still reject Jesus. You know, it happens even at Christmas. Several years ago, the guilty party was an unsuspecting culprit, a charity no less. Toys for Tots were the villains. There was a company, One to Believe, that donated thousands of unwrapped toys. That's what Toys for Tots does. They collect toys at Christmas. They received 4,000 bearded and battery-operated Jesus dolls. You push a button on the Jesus doll and the doll speaks, I speak to you. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. Push another button. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's the Jesus doll. Yeah, here's the kick in the gut. Toys for tots rejected the dolls. Why? Because they worried about offending non-Christian families. They rejected Jesus dolls at Christmas time. What's with that? Well, apparently they didn't sit well with many Americans. The public outcry was so great that the Marine Corps charity relented. They wrote the company back, accepting the dolls and vowing to find them all a good home. But even today, Jesus knows something about rejection. Have you ever been the last kid picked at the Sandlot game? (laughs) Have you ever had an application to a college rejected? Ever had a boyfriend or a girlfriend break off the relationship? Tried finding a job lately? Boy, feel a little worthless and unwanted. Got a kid who won't have anything to do with you? Man, that hurts. Ever been fired or cut or dumped or forgotten or neglected or ignored? Ever been told by your spouse, that you're no longer loved. No matter what form it takes, rejection is no fun. It's painful. Recently, there was an article that appeared in the scholarly journal Science where psychologists at UCLA have discovered that the brain reacts to slights and snubs the same way it responds to physical pain. When someone suffers emotionally, they'll often use the expression, it felt like a kick in the gut. Well, that's not far from how the mind actually perceives what's happened. One of the researchers was quoted as saying, In the English language, we use physical metaphors to describe social pain, like broken heart or hurt feelings. Now we see that there's a good reason for this terminology. James Dobson recounts a conversation he had one day with a man who was reaching retirement age. When this man was 17 years old, he played on his high school football team. He was the star. But his father never attended any of the games. One year, the boys' team was playing for the state championship. While warming up, he saw his father enter the stadium with two men in business suits. Before the game started, all three men left. Apparently, his father thought closing a deal was more important than seeing his son play that day. The man telling the story was now 58 years old. It had been 40 years since that fateful night, but tears were streaming down his face like it was yesterday. You see, the enduring pain of a moment's rejection can linger for years. (laughs) My whole life long, I dreamed of playing college basketball. Don't you snicker? I dreamed of playing college basketball. I hoped for a scholarship, but no meaningful offers ever came. I decided to walk on. And I made it through the weeding out process. I got down to the final cut. But when I twisted my ankle in practice, that was the death nail. I'll never forget the coach calling me into his office and asking if I wanted to stay on as the team manager. Talk about pouring salt on the wound. I wanted to be a starter, not a water boy. I wasn't ready to hang up my sneakers I'll tell you, the rejection I tasted was brutal. For weeks, I felt worthless. It seemed like my whole world had ended. It's always a tough pill to swallow when you're told you're not good enough. And when you're rejected time and time again, it's like a kick in the gut. It becomes debilitating. Some people just shut down and give up on life. They refuse to press on and try again. They end up living on unemployment or dropping out of school, or giving up on their dream, or aborting a career prematurely. I know folks who've been wounded by love, have been rejected, and they've decided to be permanently single. It's just easier to close off and shut down than to risk another rejection. In 2004, Arnold Palmer played his last round at the Masters at the Augusta National Golf Club. You know, Palmer had won... Four Masters titles. He was hailed as one of the greatest golfers of all time. Go to the Masters. they got a statue of him sitting there. Thus, his exit from the tournament that year was a bit of a surprise. As it turns out, it was his fear of rejection that did him in. At the time, there were three older champions who were well past their prime, but they were unable to compete. And yet, they continued to play the tournament. Augusta National sent them all letters asking them to step aside so younger men could compete. All three fellows complied, but not without some hurt feelings. And when Palmer quit, he gave one explanation. He said, I don't want to get one of those letters. (laughs) His fear of being rejected had become greater than his willingness to try. Has this happened to you? Numerous rejections have taken their toll. You were knocked down, but you got back up. Knocked down, but you got back up. Knocked down, but you got back up. Knocked down! And then you just stayed down. The day came when it wasn't worth getting back up. And that's where you've been ever since. You've stayed down. Something died in your heart. Hope died. Faith died. Love died. Well, here's what you need to know. The man nobody wanted, he understands how you feel. Jesus has felt the sting of rejection, and he has overcome. Despite your loneliness, you're not alone. Jesus has your back. The God who created you not only grasps. The working mechanics of how you think and react and feel. He's absorbed the toll it takes when you're rejected. He's tasted all of the stuff out there that can happen to you. Jesus has assimilated the hurts you felt. He's experienced wounds to his psyche and breaks to his heart and hopes. His hopes have been battered. You remember on the day he visited Jerusalem. He, he thought of how often he wanted to gather his people up to himself, but they were not willing. On that day, he wept. Jesus was forsaken by his most trusted men. His friend Peter denied him. One, one of his own betrayed him and turned him over to his enemies. Even before the executioners took their whips and laid the crisscross stripes across his flesh, Jesus had pulled a dagger or two out of his back. And here's the point. Just knowing that someone feels our hurts... And understands our pain is the first step to believing that there might be help. Call it the power of empathy. See, your caring can cause me to care again. Recently, uh, NBA legend Shaquille O'Neal was in Washington, D.C. for an interview on a radio station. Now, now when Shaq's in the room, you usually know it. He's seven foot one. He weighs 325 pounds. He's one of the most recognizable figures in sports, not just the NBA. And on this show, he boasted that he could get into the White House without an appointment. These there he's in Washington, D.C. He figured that with President Obama's love for basketball and with his celebrity status, he was a shoe-in. He could just approach the gate, announce he wanted to see the president, and they let him right in. Well, actually, the next day, he decided to give it a try. He took a cab to the White House. Walked right up to the gate, announced that Shaquille O'Neal was there, and he wanted to see the president. But guess what? Just like Shaq rejecting that basketball when that guy comes into the lane, Shaq got rejected. They told him no. Hey, not even Shaquille O'Neal is immune to the possibility of rejection. You'd think if ever there was a person who could escape rejection, it would be Jesus. But it was as if he came in the world just asking for it. I mean, Jesus was conceived in a virgin. That meant that even before he was born, there was this cloud of suspicion over his head. From the no vacancy sign at the end to the day in Nazareth when they almost threw him over the cliff. Jesus never tried to avoid public scorn. He seemed to relish the rejection. He was saying to all who would be rejected that he understood. For us... Living in a fallen world makes rejection inevitable. But for Jesus, rejection was a choice. He chose to be vulnerable. He is the man who nobody wanted in order to prove to folks like us who've lived their whole life long with feelings of rejection that he wants us. The heart of Jesus has room for us. Here's what you need to know this Christmas. The pain you felt. The, the abuse you've suffered, the indignities you've experienced, the ingratitude, the betrayal, the neglect. There's not a single humiliation that you've suffered that Jesus has not tasted plus some. And all the rejection He's endured, He's done so for you. To stir up for you faith again. To, to get you up off the floor again. To assure you that it's safe to try again. Hey, come to the man that nobody wanted, and you'll find a man that wants you. Jesus extends to us today His solace and His comfort and His strength. It's been said, Jesus will fix your broken heart if you bring Him all the pieces. Author Rick McKinley shares the before and after story of a 31-year-old woman named Tiffany. Tiffany writes, when I was nine, I was molested by a family member. I was so scared to tell anyone, so the abuse continued until I was 12. I've never been able to scrub the sick feeling off my soul. I go through life feeling that if anyone knew who I was on the inside, they'd simply reject me. I hate men. Every relationship I've had has been shallow because of it. I can't give myself to them. Oh, I can have sex, but that's as far as it goes. I can trust them with my body, but not with my heart. I'm kind of angry with God. Why did he let this happen? Someday I hope I can be honest with someone and I hope they'll love me anyway. Well, that's the before story. According to Rick, there's an after story. Here's a letter from Tiffany several years later. God met me in the deepest parts of me. I realize he's loved me the whole time. The abuse taught me that I was worthless, but Christ has taught me that I am precious to Him. The greatest thing is that in His love, I can forgive the person who hurt me and move on. Moving on is a daily thing. I can't say the pain is gone forever, but it's different now. I'm still single, but I don't give my body to guys anymore. The love I was looking for can only be found in Jesus. You see, in Jesus, Tiffany found that person who loved her anyway. Only a person who's been rejected himself can love without assigning fault. Jesus knows Tiffany's hurts. He's suffered just as deeply. He understands the cause of her dysfunctions. Jesus can empathize with the trajectory of her life, and he can change it by his grace. He can work a miracle in Tiffany. and He can work a miracle in the Tiffany's here this morning. Let me share with you a strange thought. In a sense rejection is a blessing in disguise. It is. You know, if life were only love and acceptance, if we always got what we wanted, if we just floated from one mountaintop to the next, when would we ever realize how much we desperately need Jesus? Only Jesus can satisfy the human heart, and rejection draws us to Him. God allows us to be rejected by men. So we'll turn and seek the love of Jesus. And Jesus meets us halfway because he has chosen rejection for himself so that he can comfort and heal those who are rejected. There is room in his heart for you. Here's the big idea in today's message. Jesus will restore a rejected heart if that heart stops rejecting him. For here's the irony. Many of the very people who need His help most are the ones who've caused Him the most pain. Now let me read to you our passage here in Matthew chapter 23. At first, this may not be what you would think of as a Christmas passage. I mean, we're right in the middle of Jesus condemning the Jewish establishment. He's taking on their hypocrisy. But he says in verse 29, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Therefore, you are witnesses against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your father's guilt. Now you say, Pastor Sandy, what in the world does that have to do with Christmas? Well, let me read to you these verses again. But this time, I'm going to change it up just a bit. I'm going to paraphrase these words. And I think you'll know why when I'm done. It's as if Jesus is saying to us, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you set up your Christmas tree And deck the halls with decorations and say, If I had lived at the time of your birth, I would have given you my room. I would have found you a place. But you're lying. For even as you trim the tree in honor of my birth, there are still places in your heart where I am not wanted. The scribes and the Pharisees, they were the torchbearers of Judaism. They were the town's historical society, you might say. Their job was to remember the exploits of the Jewish heroes, keep alive the passion and the zeal of the prophets. They built monuments and fountains, and they decorated tombs to honor the prophets' memory. But here's the irony. If they had been alive at the time, they would have been on the opposite side of the fence. They were no different than their forefathers. These Jews would have joined in the killing of the people that they now honored. And here's what I'm concerned about this Christmas. For all over our fair land, hands are adorning trees and stringing lights and wrapping presents and making gingerbread houses. We're all busy celebrating Jesus. Yet if we had been around at the time, would we have followed him? Would we have given up our room for him? Or would we have rejected him as almost every other person did at the time? Understand why Jesus was rejected. Oh, these reasons, they sound so familiar. The scholars in Jerusalem, they were too busy to be bothered with Jesus. They knew the whereabouts of his birthplace. They relate to the wise men the prophecy of Micah that Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. They couldn't find the time to make the short walk, just the three-mile journey from Jerusalem down to Bethlehem. They were too busy. King Herod was too threatened to visit Jesus. If Jesus was Messiah, it meant that he was king of kings. He wasn't just a rival to Herod's throne. Jesus was his superior. Herod would have to bow and worship at his feet. Instead of bowing, Herod sent his stormtroopers in a failed attempt to eliminate the threat. And yet, this was the thinking that ultimately ended up in Jesus' crucifixion. For as an adult, Jesus once again threatened the Jewish establishment. He spoke out against their corruption, he ran the merchandisers out of their temple. He called himself God, which obligated men to obey him. And the power hungry rulers, they refused to yield rank to Jesus. So what? So they killed him. They were too threatened. And the masses who followed Jesus for a time and ultimately rejected Him, they did so because they were too selfish. You see, they followed Jesus as long as He was multiplying the loaves and the fishes and healing their diseases. Oh, they loved Jesus as a meal ticket, but they refused to follow Him when they realized that they couldn't control Him, that He had His own agenda, that Jesus was nobody's boy. That he didn't do miracles on command. That he wasn't some circus act that they could use for a prophet. Jesus had no party affiliation. He wasn't the spokesman for some particular group, nor did he bow to some special interest. Jesus spoke for God alone. He did only the will of his Father in heaven. Nobody manipulated or owned Jesus. He refused to allow anyone to marginalize his message. Hey, Jesus was in nobody's pocket, and because all men are selfish, in the end, he was the man few people wanted. If you desire to follow Jesus, you had to surrender your pride and embrace his will, and the same is true today. Sadly, once people realized Jesus wasn't for sale, the religious leaders and the political powers and the fickle crowds, they all decided to eliminate the nuisance. Jesus was rejected because he was the Lord nobody wanted. And there are people today who likewise are too busy and too threatened and too selfish to follow Jesus. He's still the man that very few people truly want. I hate to remind you of this, but I need to. Jesus has felt rejection from you before. There have been times when you were reeling, you were stumbling, mourning the fact that you were disappointed by someone you loved, and you turned your back on Jesus. The Lord was calling you to come to Him, but instead you sought comfort in a bottle. Or you turned into the arms of a lustful relationship. Or you tried to escape it all by throwing yourself into something you did well, like work or maybe a hobby or perhaps a game. You sought solace from everything else but Jesus. You know, we place the nativity out in the yard and we hang the lights and we sing the carols. But are we no different than the Jews who ignored Jesus in our hearts? How many times has Jesus called us to come to him, but we ran? How often does he alert us to a danger that we willingly ignore? Has he ever called you to a better way, but you refuse to change? After all Jesus has done for us, died in our place, issued us a pardon, how can he now ask something of us and us resist his will? Jesus was the man that nobody wanted. And still today, I wonder how many of us really want Jesus. Not the Jesus we've invented. Not the Jesus we've imagined. Not the docile Jesus who minds his manners and leaves us alone and lets us do as we please and bends his will to our wishes. Oh, the Jesus most people want is a Jesus who doesn't exist. Read your Bible. Read the Gospels. The real Jesus, he strides into every scene and he becomes the dominant figure. At his birth, the stars in the heavens maneuver to signal his arrival. During his life, he rebukes the stormy sea and it becomes calm. He's crucified for the sins of the world and the sun goes out for three hours. When he rises from the dead three days later, even the rocks split open. Every time you see him in all situations, Jesus is the boss. Is he the Lord in your life? Jesus won't heal a rejected heart if that heart still rejects him. Jesus was the man that nobody wanted. He suffered like us in every way but one. There was one rejection only Jesus himself endured. And it's the heaviest load of all for anyone to bear. Isaiah 53 verse 4 makes a simple yet a mind-boggling statement. There the prophet writes of Jesus as smitten of God and afflicted. Smitten by God? You and I are loved by God. He desires to save us and forgive us and restore us to himself. But Jesus was smitten by God? The Almighty struck his son? How painful a blow that must have been. You remember Jesus' response. He cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Father and Son had lived from eternity past in perfect harmony, in undiluted love. But on the cross... The father took his hand and struck Jesus. God's holy anger towards sin, your sin, my sin, all sin, swelled up. And in one swing, he vented his anger. Not on those who had provoked it. Not on those who deserved it. But on his own son. Jesus took our punishment in our place. And this is how much he loves you. This is why Jesus came into the world. Today I invite you. To open up your heart to Jesus. To stop nursing your hurts. To stop holding a grudge toward God. Jesus has also been rejected. He feels your hurt. He can heal the pain of your rejection. But first you need to come to Him. You need to believe that He loves you. You need to trust in Jesus that He'll help you. This year, don't just participate in the trappings of Christmas. You can celebrate Christmas outwardly while inwardly rejecting God and His will. This Christmas, make sure Jesus is the man that you truly want. Father, we thank You for Your love for us and for Your coming into this world. We thank You for Jesus. Not just that He came, but how He came. How it speaks to us today. Lord, we, we marvel. You didn't have to endure any of these rejections. You could have remained in heaven. You you could have chosen to be worshipped, but instead you chose to be rejected so that you could identify with us, so that you could help us, so that you could eventually heal us. Lord, we we thank you for who you are and what you are and what you are in our hearts. We ask you, Father, to make this Christmas a, a special Christmas. Help us, Lord, to to reach up and to grab hold of who you are in in your totality and who you truly are in our lives. Help us, Lord, to bow before you and let you have full sway in our hearts. We love you, Lord Jesus. We, We pray you'll accomplish in us what you came into the world to do. And We pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you guys.